0: Hey there, family members, you have McGann, the fangirl, and today's podcast is all about really getting into the nitty gritty moral of the stories of Disney princesses. Now, I do wanna warn you, this might have some really abrupt turns in it because this was one huge blog post I did that I turned into like five or six vlogs because at the time, I could only upload 15 minute long videos to YouTube, but I've tried to put this all back together as one piece, so again, there's gonna be some really sharp changes from princess to princess in some of these areas. It should pretty much make sense though, so I'm not too worried about it. Although I do want to preface this by saying, even though I am getting really critical of Disney princesses, that doesn't mean that I do not like Disney princesses. I actually really adore them. I just think Disney before Moana came out was really lacking in how they fully developed female characters. And I made this in 2016, well before Moana came out. So I will say that Disney has shown vast improvement and how they write their female characters. And keep in mind that these Disney princesses are not real people and what I am criticizing is the writing. Not these ladies as individuals, but these ladies as role models for girls that are written by men deciding how they think women should act and it's really lacking. I know everybody is super savvy about most of the Disney princesses or at least the ones that have been coronated officially as Disney princesses. We have some that fall through the cracks like uh, Giselle from Enchanted or Eowyn from The Black Cauldron. And then we have some princesses that really have nothing to do with royalty, like Mulan. But to just go through a brief recap, you have the original princesses, which would be Snow White, Cinderella, and Aurora from Sleeping Beauty. And those girls are ornamental, essentially. I mean, they, they don't have a lot of speaking roles, they don't have a lot of thought process. They basically come off as the dumb girls waiting to be rescued. Like, they need a man. They have to have their problems fixed through a man because they can't think for themselves. I mean, in Snow White, she is about to get her heart cut out by the hunter, but he lets her go. She doesn't try to fight back and run away. He tells her to run away. So she doesn't even have enough of a brain in her head to uh, run away for herself when she's in danger. And with Snow White too, she also can't save herself at the end. Her friends can't save her. The only person who can save her is the prince. Then you have Cinderella, who is completely passive. And even when she tries to do something and, and get ready for the ball, her stepsisters tear up her dress so she can't go. And someone has to come save her in the form of magic. And I have heard over and over again, I'm not a huge fan of the Cinderella cartoons, so I haven't watched it in years. But I have heard the mice speak more than Cinderella does in the movie. So it just, it seems to question how important she is other than being a pretty girl in a pretty dress. And at the end of Cinderella, she doesn't come to the prince herself. She doesn't, you know, get in a secret carriage or walk her butt to the castle. He has to come find her, or actually his uh, servants have to come find her and bring her to the castle themselves because she won't speak up for herself. And then we have Aurora, which is definitely the best of the three and she's got the most personality that we get to see but still, ultimately, she is cursed by somebody else. She is controlled by someone else's magic and the prince has to come save her. And even though Aurora had no idea she was a princess and she was cursed so she had no control over when she went to sleep or anything like that. It was no bad decision making on her part. She still was completely reliant on other people to control her life for her. And then we skip forward about 30 something years and we have the second golden age of Disney princesses which includes Ariel, Belle, Jasmine, and Pocahontas. And if you notice, I mean, they're all different, but they all kind of have the same motivating issues in their storylines, which is either their parents, society, or a combination of both are holding them in a place that they don't want to be. Because Ariel wants to be a human. Well, you can't be a human. You're a mermaid. Too bad. So sad. Belle wants to go have an adventure and somehow she has this adventure, but it ends up in a romance kind of thing. It's, It's a little bit disappointing that Belle was just like, oh, yay, love. Let's quit everything. And the same with Jasmine. She was like, I want out of this palace. I want to experience the rest of the world. Oh, a well, boy, forget about that. And Pocahontas was very receptive to meeting somebody from a completely different culture and world from what she had experienced. And she was basically the only one of her people that were receptive to that. So both her father and society were upset about that. Just like with Jasmine, she had to marry a prince because that was the law of the land. And it was something her father was reinforcing until the end of the movie. And with she just couldn't really do anything she wanted because society said, hey, you're a girl. You're supposed to get married and have babies. And she rebelled very hard against that and then turned around and that just seemed to be what she wanted all of a sudden. And Ariel, of course, she never was really against the idea of getting married. She was a very big adventurer, but then she was like, oh boy, forget that again too. So I mean, all through the 80s and 90s, we have the very clear theme of, yes, we're strong, independent women. We're gonna rebel against the system until, oh, look, a cute boy comes along. Now we have what is is yes usually being described as 21st century princesses and that would be Tiana, Rapunzel, Anna and I would say Elsa too because she started out as a princess at least and a lot of people are praising these newer princesses because the girls are a lot more independent than they have been previously to where they make their own decisions, they they kind of control their own destinies and they are not out there just going, oh look a boy! And I agree that these ladies are much more improved and much more well developed than their predecessor princesses, but I wouldn't go as far to say that they're free of the love-makes-everything-happen kind of ordeal. And then if you look at Rapunzel in Tangled, I mean, I love Rapunzel. She is much more multidimensional than most other princesses and I mean she's got like this kind of Stockholm syndrome with Mother Gothel. She's got this almost bipolar behavior when she gets out of the tower and she's like, yes this is the best day ever and oh my god I'm a horrible person. And she just has this huge huge array of interests that i find so relatable to because i was a kid that grew up alone so collecting hobbies is is just such the thing that you did you do something for a while then you'd move on to something else and you go back to that other thing then you try something new i mean if you grew up without siblings that's basically how your life went but what i don't understand about rapunzel is why she never figured out how to save herself once she realized that mother gothel was her evil abductor and not her actual parent. Looking at the end of the movie, Rapunzel could have easily saved Flynn's life which she was doing anyways, and then chop her own hair off to become worthless to the old witch so that of course, you know, what good is dragging you around, hiding you everywhere if you don't have the magical abilities? She could have chopped off her own hair. That way she had the power and she made that life-altering decision. Instead, Flynn cuts her hair in this surprise maneuver which also causes him to sacrifice his life to save Rapunzel and it it was just so overly dramatic he could have waited until he was healed to cut her hair and then they go off happily ever after because again she's gonna be worthless to the witch but instead he had to do this whole oh no this is an act of true love this is how much I love you that I will sacrifice myself even though it's absolutely not needed So what I wonder when I watch this movie is, was cutting her hair an act of true love, or was it a subtle message that you actually need a man to solve your problems for you? And I kind of think that the second answer is the right one. Instead of the haircutting being a moment of self-empowerment for Rapunzel, it's a scene stolen by Flynn to say, I'll give up everything for you, even my life. This moment is Flynn literally taking all power from Rapunzel. She could have wanted to keep her hair. She may have wanted to have her magical powers and stay with mother gothel more than she wanted to be free and be with flynn and by cutting her hair that made rapunzel reliant on flynn since she was now rendered a normal powerless woman I mean, she has no idea how to get along even without having long hair, even without the powers, because everything she does involves her hair. That's how she even opens the window, for goodness sakes. And what I also didn't like is that Rapunzel's parents have no speaking role in the film. And again, you know, this is Disney. They can afford a couple lines from a voice actor. Anybody they want, basically, they could pick to do the line of the king and the queen. But because her parents don't speak even after their daughter has been found and returned to them, it means that the ending of the story is overshadowed by the fact that Flynn cut her hair because that's the last powerful moment that we had. We don't really get to see a a whole celebration moment of the king and the queen and the whole kingdom being just amazed that their princess is back. The last true emotional moment that we get is Flynn cutting her hair and dying for her. And it it makes the moral of the story to me feel like men take the power of women both metaphorically and physically. Because Rapunzel was special. She had magic. Magical powers, And she is the only one except for Elsa that came later who has ever had magical powers and nobody asked her input before they took that away from her. Tiana, she is driven and tough as nails, but she has faults too. Tiana is very stubborn and short-sighted and she fixates on opening a restaurant above all else. I mean, anything else that's going on, she doesn't care. She wants nothing to do with her friends, not much to do with her family. It's all about work, 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 work so that she can get the money to open her restaurant. And I I don't hate that idea. I really think that that's a good thing to teach kids, and especially young girls, is that you have to work hard to get what you want. But I also find it strange that Tiana is not interested in helping her mother get by. She's not interested in looking into getting a higher education or moving out of the 20s version of the ghetto that she seems to live in. She only cares about forcing the idea of opening a restaurant to work, even to the point where she kisses a frog in the hopes of getting a quick payday so she can make that happen. You get to the end of the film, she's a frog, Prince Naveen is a frog, they get married, and when they kiss, that's when that's the princess's kiss that breaks the curse. And then moments later in the film, we have Tiana inexplicably opening the restaurant of her dreams, but where did the money come from? What I recall is she had enough for a down payment for the place she wanted, and then when she was working for Charlotte at the party making beignets, the real estate brokers came over and said, no, 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 somebody else has already bought that property, and you know you're gonna have to come up with this huge offer to be able to make it that's why she kisses the frog so that the frog will turn back into a human and give her cash it has a vague hint of prostitution in there if you think about it but throwing all of that aside it appears at the end of the movie that she has opened the restaurant in the building that she wanted so again where did the money come from You know, the restaurant was being sold the next day before she turned into a frog, and I'm pretty sure she didn't, you know, go through that whole adventure and get married in the same day. In fact, I'm sure she didn't because there was an issue with Charlotte being the princess of Mardi Gras and her kiss being too late after the stroke of midnight to work. Then you also have to consider the fact that Prince Naveen was broke, and that's why he was in town and considering marrying Charlotte, because he wanted money. He wanted access to money again and his parents had cut him off. So who actually paid for this restaurant? How did Tiana get it? I mean, yes, we see Naveen's parents at the end and they look happy, but Naveen is dressed in regular guy clothes that makes me assume he's still cut off from the family. Yet the only logical explanation for how Tiana got the money and how they got the building, even though it was being sold already, is that his parents bought the venue for Tiana. So it just seems like that end scene of the movie undercuts everything that Tiana was doing at the beginning of the movie where she was working so hard to reach her goals. It's like the moral of the story is hard work and determination pays off in the end, but only if you marry a rich man that you barely know and hit up his parents for cash. And I don't know, maybe his parents were so glad to have Naveen kind of have his head back on his shoulders straight that they were happy to reinstate him financially or happy to buy the restaurant for Tiana, but it just seems like there's no other explanation for how she suddenly inexplicably was able to buy that building after it was sold and after the brokers told her no it's not going to happen. Now there is a second possibility for how Tiana ended up getting the restaurant but I kind of like it less because there is a really brief scene where Tiana goes in as a human with Naveen and Louis the alligator and threatens the realtors into giving her the restaurant and that scene does imply that it is using Tiana's own save money money because you see all of the coffee can stuff with cash, but if that is the case, then it really makes a crappy moral of the story that you have to bully people and be an awful person to get your way. I know there are theories out there that say that the realtor brothers just suddenly denied Tiana getting the restaurant because she was a black girl, but I really don't believe that for a second. If it was a hot commodity property, maybe I could see that happening, but if the old mill had been there for 20 years and it was vacant, why in the world would they not want to take any offer that they got to get this property off of their hands finally. So that means if she did use her alligator friend to intimidate the realtor brothers to taking her lower offer, then she just screwed them out of a lot of money and she's a really bad person when she could have just found another venue. Let's dive into looking at Merida. A lot of people say like Merida is the first princess that does not need a man to solve her problems. She solves her own problems. And even though it's technically not a Disney movie, it's really a Pixar movie. I still think it counts in the princess spectrum. I believe Merida was coronated into the official princess line, so I'm going to talk about her for a minute because I agree that she was self-empowered and didn't need a man, but I also think that there is a little bit more underlying there than we actually ever get to. And with Merida, everyone was so excited to see Pixar making a princess movie. I mean, really, if you look at Pixar movies, they have problems making any decent female characters in a lot of their films. Like, if you look at Toy Story, the only female toy I can remember seeing in the first film was Bo Peep and then the female characters were the little baby Molly that didn't do a lot but slobber on things and then you had the mom who was just kind of in and out in a mom role not really significant to the plot and then you have things like A Bug's Life where the female characters are really flat and they're kind of boring and unrelatable you have Ratatouille where there's a female chef and she's kind of spicy and saucy but she's just not that appealing to younger girls she's really an older character. Monsters, Inc. I love that little baby boo. She is one of my favorite characters in any movie, but I mean she's a baby. It could be a male baby and be the same exact character. Even The Good Dinosaur was a really boy-centric film. There was no main character throughout the film that was female. So really, other than later Toy Story movies, The Incredibles, Inside Out, and some things like that, Pixar doesn't do a lot with female characters. So it was really good to finally see a film where a female was the main character and really to have it be a mother daughter story was pretty amazing because you just don't see that anymore and most princesses in the Disneyverse they don't have mothers but as a princess Merida is the embodiment of pure defiance and I love that we finally have a tomboy princess however while I agree with most of the Merida fanfare there is a line towards the end of the film that irks me and kind of changes the whole tone of the movie for me and it's once the context of the suitors has been ended and no winner is declared, the boys are given the challenge of trying to win Merida's heart. I mean, we never see the aftermath of this unfold to date there's no Brave 2. So it kind of seems like a PC way to send all of the neighboring kingdoms home without starting a war with the other clans. But that moment really shifts the focus of the film and erases the previous disposition of Merida feeling that she doesn't need a man to make her happy. Because Merida seems all right with the decision her mother makes of hey win the girl's heart and she doesn't rebel against it like she did against the tournament for winning her hand in marriage. Now I grant you if given the choice I would prefer to fall in love with somebody than to be told no that guy won he's the strongest he gets to take you home but it's kind of beside the point of what the film was stacking up before and how Merida and her mother were trying to fix their relationship between each other. I would have really preferred that Merida be given the option to find out who she'd like to marry, if anyone at all, perhaps even the chance to find an Aladdin-esque peasant instead of making making it like the bachelor kind of where all these guys are going to be trying to win her affection and that makes it a secondary contest between three men who are obviously beneath merida's brains and abilities and that last bit makes the moral of the story seem like listen to your mother because even if you win the battle she is wise enough to win the war so many people carry on that frozen is so great because it tells viewers to value sisterhood over relationships but i'm not really sure that it does that all the way through or at least as much as people want to proclaim that it does. I mean, take Anna. Anna jumps right out of Hans' arms and into Kristoff's. Yes, she sets out alone into the mountains to try and fix her own problems. And I mean, sure, leave Hans behind so somebody is in charge of Arendelle, but no one in the whole kingdom knew the mountains and could go with the princess on this journey. Not even, say, all those men that were singing Frozen Heart at the beginning of the film. Who lets a princess who has not left the castle in in probably a decade just wander off into the mountains by herself? So because she doesn't have any help, Anna becomes dependent on Kristoff, right from the start as soon as they meet. Anna has no transportation once her horse takes off. She has no idea where she's going and the girl can't even put on weather appropriate attire before she leaves the castle in a snow blizzard. Anna is a helpless damsel in distress if I have ever seen one. Even though Anna tries to make up for that fact by having lots of spunk and this this never say quit attitude. It just, it doesn't fix the fact that she didn't think any of this through and that made her reliant on Kristoff. And especially after Anna gets frozen and she starts turning to ice slowly it it seems the whole film takes a shift from you know you've got this on your own this is about you and your sister to go get yourself a man to fix your problems because he can break the curse with true love's kiss because if you look, she believes she's in love with Hans, but when Hans doesn't kiss her and then says, you know, he never loved her, as soon as Anna figures out that, that Hans is not the one, she's like, Kristoff loves me? Oh, so I love him. And she's off in the blizzard trying to find him to get that kiss. She did not develop romantic feelings for Kristoff on her own. It seemed purely based on the fact that, one, it was convenient for breaking the curse that she was currently freezing under, and two, well, he likes me, so I should like him. It's only polite kind of a thing. And what really thaws Anna's frozen heart is loving her sister. It, it still doesn't take away that that's not what she thought was going to happen. That's not what she knew was going to happen. Her intentions were purely to go after the guy. And then the next thing you know, it's the final scene of the movie and she's with Kristoff anyways. Nah, Anna doesn't need to work on herself, build the relationship with her sister back up, or learn how to manage her duties as a princess. She needs a guy competing for her primary attention. And again, she's known this guy for a couple of days and she's jumping into another relationship after the last one turned out to be a psychopath. So the moral of the story there seems like sisters before boys, unless you think he's a nice boy who really likes you for you, just like the last guy you thought liked you for you, in which case repeat your same foolish mistakes over again. Now really out of all of the 21st century princesses, Elsa is the only one who really doesn't go after a boy at any point in the film. Elsa is the only Disney princess that isn't being overtaken by the threat, if you will, of romance, and even though you could say that Merida never got romantically involved with anybody, the whole romance concept or marriage concept is the complete driving force of the entire movie. But Elsa has no men on the horizon and she seems perfectly fine with that. However, I think there's something being said by not offering Elsa the traditional happily ever after of a husband and babies. I mean, Elsa is happy to have her sister and she ends the film appearing to enjoy being the queen and serving her people. And while Frozen didn't introduce any characters who could have sought after Elsa's hand, that was also a deliberate choice of the script. So why would that be? Now, again, a lot of people like to say, oh, well, that's because she's a lesbian. I don't think that's accurate. What I reason out, Through watching the film is that Elsa was trapped, contained, and controlled by her father for many years and even for like three years after his death. That is some real psychological power to have over someone if you are controlling what they do and how they feel from beyond the grave. Now the father wasn't a bad guy. We don't see him like in any kind of villainous way where he's beating his children or being an awful king, but he convinced Elsa that she was wrong, broken, and needed fixing. So when Elsa runs off from her coronation in shame, and she starts singing Let It Go, she seems to actually be having a conversation with her dad almost, like the internal father that has embedded in her brain, because she's sitting there chanting to herself, conceal, don't feel, don't let them know, as if she's been brainwashed, and she is just terrified to let that secret out. And as she sings Let It Go, she seems to kind of break free of that oppression, and of any authority figure telling her who she has to be or how she has to live and she ends up retorting to herself in that song with well now they know let it go let it go can't hold it back anymore and at that moment Elsa gives herself permission to not live under her father's rules and judgment any longer and if you listen there's a really powerful change in the song like she gets much more confident as the song progresses And as she sings Let It Go, she also stops fearing all the judgment of her people and decides that she's better off without them because, look, I'm by myself, really, for the first time ever, without servants or a kingdom to worry about, and I feel happy. I feel judge-free. So she was quite pleased to be alone for the simple fact that alone means no one is there to judge her. And it was her father who decided that Elsa's powers were bad and ultimately ruined her childhood by trying to control her instead of embracing her uniqueness. I mean, they could have taken a different route. They could have had her try to train with the trolls or do something to get herself under control other than just make it go away. But that's not what he wanted, so that's not what they did. Elsa had no acceptance from the most important man in her life and she was told that she had to be hidden away for her own good just like Mother Gothel did to Rapunzel except at the end of Tangled Rapunzel gets to go home to her loving parents who does Elsa have to help her overcome her life struggles considering that the king dies minutes into the movie that's a lot of deep-rooted trust issues that can never be resolved for Elsa she can't go talk it out with him she can't go have therapy with the king if he would so agree to it so if you grew up like that and then you realize that nothing of those concerns had to be true. Would you want to run out and find a new man to be your overlord and tell you what to do, as would be, you know, expected at that time? So I think Elsa really leans towards Anna, not for some fetish kind of thing that some people want to try to force it to be, but because she doesn't really trust men. And even though she didn't like Hans in the beginning of the film, look what happens after she kind of trusts him and tells him, take care of my sister, just leave me alone. He turns out to be evil. And then we have the Wesselton guy who is Arendelle's closest trade partner who also betrays Elsa and wants her dead. So where in this whole movie do we see any semblance of Elsa having a positive male relationship other than perhaps Olaf that she created herself? And really the moral of the story from Elsa's perspective is that, you know, if you don't embrace your children for who they are, you're gonna really screw them up in life. Did you survive this one? I know this video went on forever. I'm so sorry about that. I talk so much don't forget to subscribe so that you can check out what I post next on this podcast, though. And if you feel so inclined, check me out on YouTube at youtube.com thefangirlwatches. Or connect with me on Instagram at say halo goodbye. And goodbye!